Okay, we're going to listen to uh, uh, Shane and Shane. So Matt and Matt, Diana and Diana, can you guys play the song? All right, um, it continues on uh, with the, the theme, but um, if uh, we could put the uh, the psalms, uh, the lyrics of the psalm in chat, um, maybe you guys can uh, think about what kind of themes you think um, are present there. And you can put it in the chat or express verbally. Very nice, Alice. Yeah, similarly, right? In the Huaz. Yeah, good, David. Thank you. Right. Okay. Okay, good. Um, Keeping those in mind, uh, any observations on or comments on the structure of the psalm? Um, does, does it kind of, is there anything interesting that you guys can see about the way that it's ordered or how the themes uh, progress or, or, or whatnot? What, what, what might you say about um, either the, the structure of the, emphases or the structure of the themes.
Okay. The author starts out in a bad place, but ends with confidence in God. Okay. I'd like to revisit that after we hear some more uh, uh, comments and input. Okay, interesting. So Young and Linda said present to future, right? So yeah, I see the um, his current situation, but then he is looking for what will come and he's teaching or, or charging Israel right, to do the same, okay? Um, Alice adds, All right, coming before God, asking for forgiveness. Turning towards God. Okay, so focus on that and then he challenges. For, okay. Steph separates it in half, kind of. Oh, she kind of gives it a lot of structure. So she puts together verses one and five. Okay. Can you... Um, Connect one of those for us, uh, just to elaborate, Steph. Pick one of those pairs. Yeah, so the last pair is probably the easiest. So verse 4 and verse 8, right? It talks about, verse 4 talks about asking uh, for forgiveness, but or saying that you are able to forgive, right? And then verse 8 says, and you will redeem Israel, right? So forgiveness and redemption. Um, and then similarly, like verse two and verse six come together quite nicely to me because uh, it's talking about please for mercy and all of that. Um, actually, I, I, it's a little bit off because verse five and six are kind of merged in that way. But it, it wasn't exact, but it was, close because it feels like the second part of the poem or, or psalm answers the top. It may not be as sequenced as I put it. Okay. Thanks for that effort. Okay, good. And then from Jackson Heights. Okay. So it, it kind of describes God, no, it asks. Hmm. Describes God one forgives and then it seeks for that forgiveness. Okay, thank you, Matt, MCNDY, good. Um, let's, uh, of all the good stuff that's out, let's talk about um, maybe what Young wrote. Oh, no, not what Young wrote, but um, okay. The first part: calling on God in a bad situation. And then Samantha Hua wrote, the author starts in a bad place, but ends with confidence in God. So let's talk about the bad place or, or, or the bad uh, situation. What is that bad place or situation? 
Uh, well, there is no specific. There's no specifics of what that bad place or situation. It just says out of the depths. And um, I found it interesting that the author goes from personal to corporate to personal to corporate. And um, that bad situation can be caused maybe by his personal sin or corporate sin or whatever the situation is or whatever the action or inaction was. Um, the author felt that only God can rectify it, only God can forgive, and only God can give them hope again. And um, so I, I like the fact that the author doesn't specify a particular situation so that as the reader, you know, we can apply it to, to our own personal situations, whatever our depth is when we cry out to God. Yeah, I like the way you put that. Um, if we just had the first two verses, though, um, what do people think? Would they be more, uh, what would be the kind of the, if you had to guess what the, if you didn't have the rest of the psalm, you just had verses one and two, what would you kind of, if you had to surmise what situation he's in, um, what would it be? I mean, I think it's cool that he doesn't specify in those first two verses, right? But we learn that, um, yeah, I think that's great. And that was the answer I was thinking of when I first read it, that he's in danger or trouble, right? So a lot of the Psalms actually come from that, that context, right? David, who penned a lot of them. He seemed to be, you know, in a lot of like dicey situations and whether it was he's, his enemies were after him or whether um, he, he was um, in a kind of a, a very um, fearful situation or his safety was at stake. And, um, you know, I, I think that is commonly when the average person, if I can say that, cries out to God, like Hurricane Ida, if you were on BQE at 9 p.m. on, what day was that? Uh, what day was Hurricane Ida? Is that, is that a Friday? Wednesday no. night. Wednesday, Wednesday, yeah. Wednesday night. night. Yeah. Right, right, right. I, I think, you know, you would have cried out, you know, literally out of the, the, the watery depths, <laughs> I cry out to you. Um, yeah, um, I know some of you guys or your relatives had homes or basements and, 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 and roofs damaged. So um, it, it really was a kind of a, a, a scary time. Um, Mona said the next day at, when she was driving to work at 630 in the morning, Grand Central was littered with cars abandoned, just smack dab in the middle of the of the of the parkway. Um, you know, people just had to flee, had to leave their cars there and just get the higher ground or something. But um, I think, you know, like the proverbial sailors in a storm, right? Or I remember when, um, you know, my friends and I were uh, uh, kind of uh, driving, or, we're trying to do all these kind of fancy stuff in, in, in our cars in a parking lot. We saw a policeman. You know, it's that kind of like, you know, whatever fearful situations that prompt, I think, crying out to God, which is appropriate, which is apt, which is we should, right? Um, that is, uh, those are certainly uh, ripe moments to quote this psalm or to look to God. But interestingly, um, and David might have, you know, some element of that, right? But it's the rest of the psalm is more of a focus on yeah, uh, sin, right? Uh, immediately verses three and four focus on, as Joe put, his own personal sin and um his uh, 
the need for um, the recognition that uh, not only does he need forgiveness, but only God can forgive and God will forgive. Right. And as a conclusion, uh, as Joe said, he using Joe's words, he funnels out to the corporate and says, it's not only a personal forgiveness that God um, will offer us, but corporate, national, right? humanity, right? We can all be forgiven um, if they uh, turn to the Lord. So um, I think that's kind of something that uh, maybe we don't have enough um, we meaning it, it could be us, you know, in this body of Christ, or it could be Christians in general, but uh, there's not, I feel, um, a, a kind of a, a mature kind of robust, um, a, a really well-developed experiential and practical theology of uh, really looking, really struggling with um, who we are and what we've done and what sinfulness plagues us to the point right, where uh, we cry out to God for mercy and forgiveness. Right? So, we are good at, or better at, uh, looking for help in time of need, um, you know, praying that the pandemic will be uh, kind of lifted, um, desperate when there is pain and suffering involved. But the, and the quality or the um, the the engagement that the the psalmist has uh, with his sinfulness, right? And uh, we talk about hope and confidence and waiting. Um, those I think are all kind of uh, colored and and. Um, incorporated into that uh, particular, that type, that genre, that type of situation where um, the psalmist is talking about hope, um, what he says about hope, which, which we can get into, but hope in the, right, in that kind of uh, need for God's cleansing situation. Um, uh, prayer for mercy, crying out to God to deal with, to wash away my iniquity, right? Is that the David Chang word? Yeah. Redemption from iniquity. Uh, as Lucy said, God hearing, of course, uh, many types, but specifically right, that type uh, of prayer, right. Uh, uh, a note maybe on the beginning uh, kind of superscription or de description of what the psalm is. It says, a song of ascents. Anybody have any background information on what a song of ascent is? Like, did you run into it? Have you heard a message on it? Do you have an understanding? Any, anybody want to offer thoughts on a song of what a, a song of ascent, a sense is? I'll hazard a guess. Sure. Oh, never mind. Go ahead. That's basically what I was going to say. A song of the saying, right. Okay. No more. That's it, Peter. It's exactly word for word what you're going to say. Oh, and I mean, I guess I was just thinking like 
if they're doing pilgrimage to Jerusalem, I guess, because usually you go up to Jerusalem or something. Yeah, I think Jerusalem was considered a city on like elevated, right? It's on a hill. Geographically, it's up, right? And um, right. So there's often these processions or pilgrimages during festivals or uh, or, or, or or that. But um, uh, you know, commentators will say that there are steps. So you know, as you're singing it, even as you're like the terrain is up, so is the design of of the approach, right? So upstairs. Um, what else uh, might that refer to? A song of the sense. Maybe you can discern from the structure. I mean, this one actually kind of um, has the word depths in it. Um, so actually there are 15 uh, consecutive Psalms, which are all ascribed as song of ascent, a song of ascent, um, some to David, some to Solomon, I think. And um, they um, don't all explicitly, 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 include like um, in its own language or imagery, this idea of coming from someplace bottom and down or depths uh, to uh, up to the hills, but, but uh, some do, right? And I, I think you have that here a little bit uh, on kind of the watch, like you out of the depths, he's crying out and then his soul is like a watchman, like probably in a on a tower. So you get this kind of gradient. You get this kind of movement upwards, right? I think to again uh, support the metaphor of ascending towards, of course, God. Right? And I think um, you can uh, argue that there is also an emotional ascendancy, right? He starts out with crying out and calling to God. And in the end, there's, as you guys mentioned, confidence. There's a, uh, an, a, an uplift. Uh, the writer is confident that God will provide actual plentiful redemption. He will redeem all of Israel from all uh, his, her, its iniquities. So I think not only were these Psalms to be sung as ritual or liturgy, but it's to evoke a certain kind of, of kind of uh, development progression right? that these um, indicate our without God how low and dark and base our lives are but as we come to worship come to make offering come to exalt him our spirits are lifted high uh, as well we ennoble ourselves our experiences um, shoot up as uh, we go through uh, these uh, songs right so I, I hope yeah even those kind of whatever technical comments can you know be helpful to us as we think about what um, the psalmist is uh, trying to say
Okay. Uh, any comments or, or other things you want to say before um, we dig a little bit further into the themes? Or any questions? When I was reading it, I was just wondering whether um, it's almost like there's like a part missing um, just because he, he starts with this sort of crying out to the Lord. Um, and I, I guess, yeah, there's no, there's no like answer, right? He's, he's just talking about how he's waiting and then he goes and he sort of addresses other people. But um, I don't know, it just kind of struck me that there's no, he kind of has this like really plaintive call and then there's no sort of resolution. He's just talking about how he's waiting and then, and then he goes out and he's like, hey, everybody, you know, I don't know, just thought it was kind of struck me. Very accusing of, a, of someone redacting like two verses. That'll mess up <laughs> Stephanie's one-to-one uh, -one combination, though. Caring. <laughs> no, no, that's... Yeah, that's, uh, that's a really good thing, Peter. Uh, I think uh, that kind of like, it's a little like, hmm, it, it makes you wonder. Uh, I, I, you know, um, I, I think maybe we can actually kind of make a point out of it, though. Um, what would explain the jump from six to seven? Is there a way to kind of yeah? Go ahead. Oh no no no! I guess I I guess you maybe you're suggesting that he did get some sort of answer or reassurance like in between, right? Though that's interesting to think about. Yeah, yeah that or he is confident enough he's sure enough to say oh i'm gonna get the answer i'm, I'm just waiting right definitely it's gonna come so you know go ahead and start you know preparing the party <laughs> it's actually to me one way to kind of you know i'm not sure that's the only way or you know to resolve it is to say that faith bridges six and seven um that he hasn't yet received the goods he hasn't god hasn't you know, uh, come and, you know, um, answered his pleas or affirmed his declarations of God's, you know, loving kindness. But he's so sure in that, that he can actually tell or she can tell uh, those that, let's see, his influence or, or, or leadership over, it's a done deal. Go ahead and, you know, start planning or preparing, you know, whatever the case may be, right? Um, sometimes, you know, in our, like, confirmatory kind of dot your I's, cross your T's, um, you know, this kind of surety kind of culture, um, we don't want to be left out to dry. We don't want to put our reputations on the line. We don't want to be embarrassed. Um, yeah, we... we Maybe our psalm, if we wrote it, our song of ascent would stop at six until, you know, we had a true testimony to add or to, to you know, to confirmatory kind of um, element. But I want to say that this writer um, praises God in advance or, again, um, demonstrates the certainty or confidence that God will come through it again uh, it's I think it's an element of trust right when you can tell somebody to um, you know proceed because um, it, it's it's going to happen I'd like to interact with others or anyone else Peter you too or anyone else who wants to talk about that well I wonder if um the structure as a song of ascent has something to do with that because you know if you can imagine you're coming to the temple right you're actually fairly dispersed when you first started out but as you get closer to the temple people get closer and closer to each other you know before you enter the temple right and so towards the very end even if it's a singular pilgrimage right you kind of are forced to be with other people as you enter the temple Right. And so you can see 
you know, perhaps that's part of the transition to going from a solitary experience to when you're just about to worship God, it's starting to become a corporate experience, right? It's not just, you know, my own problems that I'm, you know, coming to seek, you know, the Lord for is that I'm actually, you know, in a community and, um, you know, everybody is coming to be siege of God. And so, you know, perhaps that's part of the reason why the author designed it this way. Um, and, um, um, and I, I guess the expectation is verse nine, right, would be actually entering into the temple, right, when, you know, we are going to, you know, worship in the presence of God. And so, I mean, even when I look at verse seven and eight, there is an element of, you know, kind of, let's see what God has for us, right? Even in a corporate set, right? You know, you know but it's, it's actually the, the, the singer encouraging his brothers and sisters who are going up together. There's that element that, hey, let's hear what God has for, not just me, but us, right? And um, so, you know, that's kind of what I thought about the structure and how it relates to the themes. Alrighty. Thank you, David. So it's like the beginning of the Lion King. All come together. Um, I I see verse the jump from six to seven, like what you said, Pastor Daniel, uh, that bridge of faith, almost um, like the author was remembering other times when he had waited for God and God had delivered. And then seven was like, oh, yes, yes, God has done this many times before when I waited for him, even though I didn't necessarily know the answer or what the outcome may be. But yet the conclusion when it actually comes or if it ever actually comes was something that, you know, something clicked and the author realized, oh, yes, God delivered me. And I felt like verse seven was almost like um but yeah, the author remembering all the other times in his life when this has come to pass and, and exalting and, and um, really trying to, to remind his fellow Israelites that we've gone through this over and over again, and God has always delivered and he will deliver again. Mm, thank that, you, that's Joseph. how I see it. Yeah, thank you, Joe. Okay. Um, if I were to kind of group the verses, I think I would go um, one to a four, right? The, the writer is talking about, um, about desperate. He's writing from, uh, the writer is, from a position of desperation and uh, really having a sense of kind of um, conviction um, and really wrestling with the disparity, the huge uh, distance between our iniquities and God's holiness, God's perfection. It's like he's smote, he's smitten, however you want to say. It. It's like a heavy word, like he's struck in the marrow of his bones uh, with the realization that he is utterly sinful, wretched, and undeserving. And yet uh, he can call, he has a relationship, he's loved by a supreme uh, holy and um, glorious God. Um, a God who, if he wasn't merciful, had every right and every ability, every um, capacity to 
reduce us to dust because that's what we are. That's what we deserve. Uh, it, it's really kind of the, the polar opposites. Um, as stark a contrast as you can. And yet, um, in the midst of his sense of sinfulness and self-awareness, um, there is this um, faith or, or confidence, this deep-seated understanding that God will not ignore his pleas or God will not abandon him, right? And if you've ever been in kind of that, like, prodigal son, pigsty, you know, the almost like the you think the worst has happened, you've done something that it's almost inexplicable, or it's just um, worst of the worst in, in your mind. Something almost like, yeah, you've committed the perfect sin. <laughs> that kind of, um, that kind of, you know, prison cell, that kind of rock, rock bottom. No matter how many messages we've, heard or Bible passages we've read or you know uh, examples of, of forgiveness that or stories of forgiveness that we've experienced or testified to uh, it's not easy to hold these two together uh, I think you know when you're caught in something that's whatever really dark or scandalous or you know um, it's just hmm. I, I don't I hesitate to use the word, but like purely sinful. Um, this it's sometimes hard to hold together that God is gracious enough, big enough, loving enough faithful enough to forgive me that he would that, that's how uh, high and deep wide and long the love of Christ is right? so to really be stripped away of all the veneer and all of the nice decency that we put on and all of the posturing and, and nuances and, and, and kind of, uh, you know, all, just all the games that, that we play in our own minds in front of other people, whatever, what have you, but just be kind of completely broken before God. Um, and yet be able to hold on to this truth, right? That you really believe and know and therefore can with all sincerity and with a straight face cry out to God fully expecting fully hoping fully trusting that he will be merciful to you it's no easy feat right I think it takes a lot of of uh, kind of um, time spent with God, time spent thinking about you know, God's love. I, I feel like sometimes we, in our efforts to familiarize, familiarize ourselves with God's love and to kind of, um, you know, it's good to, focus on it and to become intimate uh, with God. But um, sometimes I feel like we don't meditate enough. We don't appreciate enough um, how 
how deep and great the Father's love is. Um, to know that in our worst moments, you know, he's there. I think it's Dostoevsky that said that even in hell, he thinks God's love is there because God's love is greater even than hell, right? The worst place that there could be. God's love overcomes it. Um, I think whoever has written this psalm um, somehow can hold this in their kind of present experience, their orbit of, of awareness. They can see themselves as truly wretched and see God as truly righteous, that he, he could stand no sin. And so the forgiveness of God, the, the compassion and mercy of God, that is right, so tremendous. Um, and I think that's what he's saying there in verse four, that you may be feared. I think that kind of forgiveness is so scary. It's not, you know, kind of easy peasy, kind of like the kind of forgiveness you and I might throw around or ask for. This is costly, mysterious, kind of like, uh, I don't know, smoke-laden <laughs> kind of forgiveness that we dare not trifle with that we, um, we realize the, the substance and the cost of it. So that, that's one thing that, the, 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 in, it, that I would kind of want us to think more about. And then the latter um, couple of verses, right? This idea of redemption, this idea of, of uh, we've, we've talked about that, right? That indeed, um, comes together, uh, it culminates, right? Not only in personal uh, forgiveness and deliverance, but corporate. Um, so I'm not gonna talk too much about that. Um, what I want, what I find most challenging and most interesting and most troubling, personally troubling about this passage is uh, verses five and six. Um, it's fascinating to me that even though the, the psalmist is so confident, oh, he, well, he's not confident, but he's, he has such conviction of God's uh, mercy and forgiveness. And yet in five and six, he has not yet received it. And he has, it has to wait. And he has to be in, um, he has to live with this heavy burden for, for a time. And he knows he needs it. He knows he wants forgiveness and he's, you know, anticipating it so much, but he's a little bit in, in, in limbo. He's a little bit kind of, he can't yet celebrate. He can't yet rejoice. This is in the midst of uh, five and six. Um, and that's what I find. It's personally difficult. Like, I think maybe at in my best moments, I can connect or I can kind of join together in, in some beautiful uh, kind of fusion, uh, my iniquities and God's forgiveness. I, I can articulate it, or maybe I maybe I can articulate, maybe I can feel it, maybe I can mentally uh, uh, kind of wrestle with it and, and be satisfied with it. And then, you know, once it, I'm forgiven, once I'm released, once I'm free, you know, I, I think I can, you know, maybe um, share with others or you know, encourage others, you know, rejoice with others. But I can't handle the weight. <laughs> I don't know why some of these situations get prolonged, right? And I lose heart. I, I am not like the this writer. He, you know, he, he waits 
eagerly, right? So that that double uh, that doublet, then watchman for the morning, more than watch, more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. Right? The commentator is not sure what kind of watchmen these are. And some say they're uh, military, like sentries, like they're waiting for, I guess, troop movement or reinforces. Maybe that'll come with, um, you know, the dawn or something like that. Uh, others say that these are religious watchmen, that there were um, some time um, dependent um, kind of ceremonies or, or kind of uh, uh, um, practices, uh, calls that you know, were conducted first thing at, at daybreak. And so they were to stay up and with their eyes peeled and, and, and alert everyone when, you know, the appropriate time to sound the, sound the arrival of the day, that kind of thing. But it's a kind of a sense, I think it suggests alertness and anticipation and kind of like um, a focus that I feel like is kind of elusive for me or maybe for you. Um, I don't know, maybe some of you guys like waiting that, you know, that the longer you wait, the more, you know, sweet or exhilarating, you know, beneficial, profound something is, but I don't know if it's, I'm, I'm, a proud, I'm a child of my times, but, you know, instantaneous and, you know, uh, efficiency and, and uh, moving on to the next thing. Um, <laughs> that's the order of my day. So to kind of have to wait for what I know to be true in my head to actually, um, you know, to, to, to value that, to, slow down and uh, mull over it, meditate, cogitate, uh, suffer <laughs> for it. Um, that is kind of a spiritual practice that um, I find harder and harder. Uh, but I think so many passages that I'm kind of running in the books that I'm reading, um, it kind of seems to like keep pointing to that, that the best uh, things about God and the best experiences with God are really like, you know, crock pot. <laughs> you got to cook it for 12 hours. It's not microwavable spirituality or, or even relationship or even just dealing with something like, you know, forgiveness uh, from God that um, one of the reasons he withholds is not only to increase faith, but to increase um, our understanding, our appreciation uh, to change us. And it's, it's, you know, it's Abraham waiting 25 years for uh, Isaac. It's um, the Israelites waiting 400 years in, in between the Testaments, right? It's us waiting 2,000 years for the return of Christ and, and, and other things that I think is somehow now, um, at least in this one, in this Psalm, I'm suggesting there is, um, it, it's helpful to work through uh, mercy, forgiveness, repentance, redemption. That um, there is, you know, at times God is quick to, to forgive. He is quick to redeem. He's like, there's almost like an element of he's just waiting to get us out of our iniquity, our, our struggles. And then there are other times where you know, this is a long battle uh, and we can't lose heart. We got to keep waiting on the Lord. We got to, if God is the God of, you know, 
enormous forgiveness and God is the God of Israel and the God of redemption, then that's worth, um, you know, sitting on your chair, sitting, uh, kneeling on your knees, um, battling, you know, toe-to-toe -to -toe with sin um, for um, as long as is necessary. Okay, that's it. Those are my, I guess, two and a half mini themes I wanted to kind of follow up with. If Matt could play our uh, last one. I don't know. I think it's one of these uh, kind of local, I don't know if it's famous, but local James Block, that's the version of this. Lord, um, as we uh, journey in our Christian walks with you, um, there will be significant junctures as well as maybe a general sense of uh, realization of the depths that we dwell in, that our sin tries to uh, anchor us down with. Uh, and uh, We've heard the messages, we've read the passages, we've even expressed our belief that you are uh, amazing God of forgiveness. And we may have even in faith told others to um, put our hope, put their hope in God. But uh, personally, when we go through it, um, it's, not, it's, it's not such a smooth path. Um, we ask for uh, uh, strength. We ask for uh, endurance. We ask for patience, the kind of patience you've shown us, Lord. Help us uh, to wait on you. Um, to stay up as long as we need to, to catch the sun rising, catch uh, forgiveness coming, uh, catch you in your beauty and uh, in your uh, otherworldly kind of grace to us. Lord, uh, in this uh, time of, of pandemic in this era of history, we realize that the structures and the institutions and the um, cultural markers that we, uh, even relationships and institutions are, are, are not secure, um, but waiting on you, waiting for uh, your uh, goodness to fill us again, that is. Help us to be uh, watchmen uh, waiting for the morning. And, and may this help us ascend closer to you. May we pilgrimage together closer to you. Thank you for the tonight, for our fellowship and our study. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>